I'm Dave Cornoyer. And I'm Ryan Hasman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on December 9th, 2018, and we're also joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, fellas. This episode, we'll discuss last week's First Minister's meeting and the push to get Canada's energy economy onto the agenda. We'll talk about what 2019 could bring to Alberta politics, including when the next provincial and federal elections will be held. And we'll also talk about our Dave Berta Best of Alberta Politics 2018 survey. But first, we'll launch with the latest nomination candidate news. Tis the season. Uh, We are approaching the end of 2018, as you all know. It's December 9th today. Uh, And... uh, and nominations came fast and furious uh, at the end of end of November. Uh, we had a lot of nomination nominations going on at the beginning of December, and things are finally starting to slow down a little bit with only a few nominations scheduled uh, for the uh, for the rest of 2018. Uh, just to look at some of the nominations that happened recently that I think are interesting. Um, one of the I guess one of one of the one of the nomination meetings that caught my attention in Calgary. Uh, the Calgary Mountain View United Conservative Party nomination, which is quite interesting. And and the nomination race was interesting, and the race going into the election walk should be quite interesting as well because of the nature of the riding and the candidates who are running there. So Caitlin Ford uh, won the UCP nomination. There was a um, a bit of uh, a bit of tension, a bit of uh, a news coming out of that nomination meeting when Mark Laddie, who was the former MLA, the former progressive conservative MLA for that riding. He was the MLA from 1993 to 2004, and he was again the PC candidate in the 2015 election in that riding. Uh, He was, or his nomination, he wasn't disqualified, but he wasn't accepted in in terms of being a candidate. Uh, And that had to do with a a dispute over when he purchased purchased his UCP nominee, or UCP membership. And there was some I, th- I guess that was that was one of the issues that he may not have purchased in time, or so that was that was the claim that was made by the party. He responded back with a post on Facebook saying that that was all bunk and the party is too central, and basically they tried to push him out. Interestingly, earlier in the race, s- similar questions were raised about Kalen Ford's membership in the UCP, and there were nine members of the board of directors of the UCP in Calgary Mountain View, including Dean Braun, who was previously running for the nomination, but then dropped out and became Mark Laddie's chief financial officer for his <laughs> nomination race. So uh, the, the party responded saying that there was nothing, nothing was wrong, that she didn't actually break any rules. But there were questions about when she actually purchased her membership and whether it would have... And residency, I think. And residency, yeah. Because I guess she was living in Ontario and there were yeah. questions about whether she was living in Alberta when she bought the membership and whether she met the qualifications for, because I think you have to have been a member for a few months before you actually run. And so there's, there's elections, Alberta rules, and then there are party rules. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the, there was issues with the party, internal party rules. Right. Um, And I mean, looking at this, looking at this, this nomination race, just in general, it looked pretty, it was pretty clear from the beginning that Kaylin Ford was kind of the establishment favorite. She had this, had some pretty big, endorsements yeah. it seemed like well she's great yeah and it seemed like the the, the party would really wanted her to win yeah mark claddy being just dis, being disqualified or not being not allowed to run in the nomination was interesting because he might have actually won and well, and this goes back to when you look back to tw- the 2015 election claddy ran for the 
progressive conservative nomination against uh, Jean-Sebastien Roux, who the was... The nomination. The he nomination, the PC yeah. nomination. Uh, who was Prentice's... Prentice's chief of staff when he'd right. been a federal cabinet minister and was definitely seen as, as kind of the, the establishment favorite. Right. And Haladi came back and won the nomination. So I think there was some fear from what I've been taught, people I've spoke with, that Haladi would be able to pull that off again. Uh, and he definitely wasn't the... Uh, didn't seem to be the establishment favorite in this race. And, and yeah. uh, I went a long time without thinking about Mark Haladi. So I actually forget... I honestly don't remember where he was at with Unity. Like, was he one of the PC Remainers, or did he support the UCP project, or did he just keep his mouth shut? I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah, the thing about these nominations, and we'll get into it later, but you know that expression about no one likes to see the sausage being made? It's never super great, to be honest. I mean, there's party rules, but then there's always small print that says that committees and leaders can override it. And it, often I actually think the leaders should do more of that. Because I actually think what's more important to Albertans, Albertans tune in after the writ is dropped. They don't tune in now. And they look at the quality of the candidate who's running. You know, and there's a place for young political machines, for sure. And some of them grew up to be fantastic politicians or even prime ministers, like Joe Clark could have probably been an eight, he was probably the 18 year old political hack kind mm-hmm. of model. But I also think there's a role for people who have an interesting background or who might be in a role that they can't um, do the partisan thing. So. I don't know what happened there with the rules. I know I saw that letter. The other thing that it, but I, sorry, I'll finish that thought. But I do know that I think the candidate they found is going to be great, and she brings a lot to the to the fold. The other observation point I want to make is that whatever we're paying Janice Harrington, it's probably not enough. So, <laughs> and she's the executive director of the party, and basically the one who's in charge of stake handling all this. Because at least on our side, on the conservative side, the grassroots are very active and demanding, and rightly so. You know they're. They don't just rubber stamp things, and it's pretty hard to uh, to um, sorry to herd eighty seven ridings full of cats to get. It's to like do. the most thankless job in Alberta politics <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and if you read her letters of rebuke for some of these kind of like out on the fringes candidates, they're pretty good. But I, you know, there's a lot of angst that goes into her role, and I'm sure the NDP has a similar person. But Janice, you're doing a great job in a thankless job. So, so one one of the reasons why I think Calgary Mountain Views is interesting, not just the UCP nomination race, but looking towards the election, and we'll talk a little bit more later in the podcast about when we think that election will actually be held, uh, but look at who's running in Calgary Mountain View. So the incumbent MLA, so Calgary Mountain View, for, for, for starters, has been represented by liberal MLA David Swan since 2004. Uh, and he's won one re-election pretty handedly. It was a close one in the last election, but but he's been been re-elected for 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 a number of elections. He's not running for re-election in 2019. Uh, Kathleen Ganley, who's currently the NDP MLA for Calgary Buffalo, which is downtown Calgary, she's also the Attorney General and Justice Minister. Next minister, door, though. Next of. door, right across the river. Yeah. So yeah. she's she's hopping over. I think she actually, from what I understand, she actually lives in Mountain View, and she's lived in Mountain View for years. Yeah. Um, so she's running in Calgary Mountain View for re-election. And David Kahn, who's the now the leader of the Liberal Party, is running for election in Mountain View. And he actually ran in Calgary Buffalo in the last election against Kathleen Ganley. I just so, met him a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, so they've all moved over across the river. So Buffalo is the place to be. Well, basically. Mountain View, or, sorry, Mountain Mountain View is, is the place, place to be. be. Yeah. You know, I've been there recently in that part of Calgary. It seems pretty cool. Like walkable cafes, all the sort of maybe um, urban design elements that I could see a lot of these parties doing well in. Like it's not mm-hmm. just a classic NDP UCP fight. So yeah, yeah it'll be interesting. I met David Kahn a couple of weeks ago at a panel. 
He's actually pretty smart. He's very nice. Mm-hmm. He, to be honest, it doesn't come across as a very polished politician, mm-hmm. which obviously can be a virtue um, and a vice. I was a bit surprised because he's been, he's actually run for election a few times. Yeah. So he doesn't, you know, he was with Derek Fildebrandt and Greg Clark at a, no, I'm sorry. Let me redo that. He was with Derek Fildebrandt and Rick Fraser at the panel. And the other two were very sort of typical politicians and David didn't come across that way. So I'll definitely be watching Mountain View to see what happens. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. It'll definitely, definitely be one to watch. And uh, I mean, it's one of the, one of the ridings in Calgary that, uh, I mean, I think that the NDP have probably have a good shot of holding on to, um, you know, one of the, one of the handful ones that, that I would put in the, uh, like if they're going to lean, lean, lean orange category, yeah. like um, if you're running their campaign, that yeah. one has to be a priority. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and the other part about with, with the boundary redistribution, because all the, the electoral boundaries are changing in the next election, Mountain View takes in, uh, a number of neighborhoods. I think Capitol Hill is one of them, um, from the Calgary Klein riding, uh, that are, tend to have a, a more progressive voting pattern. Okay. So yeah. they'd vote in strong NDP vote in the last election, stronger liberal votes in previous elections to that. So but even, it seems to me like even Buffalo, and then what is the one down in Mission? Which riding is that? Is that Calgary Curry? Like 17th Avish. I think it's Calgary Curry. I'm kind of revealing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of revealing my Edmonton focus here. <laughs> you know, that it seems to me like that whole band, I guess it's obvious, that band around downtown. Yeah. If they're going to hold on to something, that would be their, you know, the government's best shot. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of looking at the core ridings, those are the ones I'm kind of looking at uh, that that uh, I think could be, could be interesting races going on in the next campaign. Calgary Mountain View, Calgary Buffalo, Calgary Curry. Calgary Varsity, we'll Varsity, see yeah. um, those kind of Calgary Klein, those kind of core and, yeah. and surrounding core areas. They're not really the suburban core. It's where you would have seen Nenshi do really well, yeah. where you saw Kent Hare do really well in the last federal election. Um, and, and the Liberals and Matt Grant, who was running in Calgary Confederation in the last federal election, but, where, where they did really well. So, But even then, historically, the PCs would have had a baseline support of... 30, 35, 40 in all those ridings. Yeah, and, and a lot some of those ridings... Um, were when you look in the 2000s i mean the 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 liberal party had a surge in calgary in the mid in the mid 2000s and they were able to pick up three and then five seats in calgary and when you look at where those seats were that's exactly where it was this is it was the core and i think that's when you started to see kind of the development of more of a more kind of progressive voting patterns in central calgary so, um and not not to say that the ndp are going to hold on to all right. those seats and you know they'll, they'll probably fight to hold on to all of them yeah but uh, but there's there is kind of a trend there from the past from the past few elections well may, this is a question for you guys I, th- I think you're a little bit more in touch with the progressive side i see it here in edmonton as being very much a visceral opposition to jason kenney personally and the conservative brand like if you're a progressive voter here the jason kenney in particular but even brian Jean or jim prentice it was it was very viscerally against them. Is it the same thing in Calgary? Like, is what drives progressive voters a basically a hatred for Jason Kenney, or is it different? Like, because you know my my basic thesis here is any vote that's against Jason Kenney that isn't for the NDP actually helps Jason Kenney. Like, this, my premise has been is about Jason Kenney. So, is it the same in Calgary? Do you think? Well, I think I mean I don't I don't I don't know specifically Calgary. Um, I mean I think. I don't think Jason Kenney is popular among progressive voters at all. Uh, and I think he does. I think that he is a driver uh, for for those groups. Looking province-wide, I was looking at some polling that came out from Abacus Data recently, uh, I think at the end of November, being, beginning of December. And they 
looked at, I mean, they looked at popularity of the, of the political leaders. Um, and they looked at, um, popularity of basically approval rating approval ratings for the provincial leaders and it's almost i mean it's it's pretty clear it's it's it's, it is incredibly polarized you can look at um ndp supporters have give jason kenney an incredibly low approval rating and ucp so ucp supporters give rachel notley an incredibly low approval rating what about the undecided yeah and and in terms of the undecideds that's where it actually gets kind of interesting is that both Rachel Notley and Jason Kenney have similar disapproval ratings among independent voters or undecided voters, I should say. But Rachel Notley asked, actually has a higher approval rating than Jason Kenney when it comes to undec- the undecided voters that were in this poll. Okay, which I think is interesting, and I don't necessarily think that means that's not that's not saying that those undecided voters will vote NDP, but it's looking at individual approval ratings. And, and that's something that's important that we got to yeah. recognize is that approval ratings for leaders don't necessarily reflect the support for the political parties. We can see Jason Kenney, right. province-wide, he has about a 32% approval rating, yet the UCP is polling at 50. 50%. So, yeah, so well. it, but what that basically shows is that there's, you know, the, the party's polling, the party's more popular than the leaders, that, that even yeah. though people, you know, there's a lot of Albertans who want a UCP government, but they're not necessarily excited about Jason Kenney. Jason Kenney yeah. might not have coattails is what I'm saying. Well, it'd be interesting to look at the data for the 2015 election. Cause my sense was on election day, Rachel Notley would have been out polling her party significantly because mm-hmm. it really did feel like a Rachel Notley wave, yep. an opposition wave, yep. a throw the bums out. But if the candidate had been some other NDP leader, I wonder, and I guess we'll never know. But I, I wonder if you could have taken a snapshot that day, what her net favorability gap with the party would have been. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find some data because I'm sure there's some data floating around about yeah. approval ratings going into the last campaign and or she going remains, into the last election. Sorry. She remains their biggest asset. Like, Absolutely. I find myself liking her. Yeah. And like I've run in Edmonton Strathcona against the NDP. Like I'm not yeah. her target market. But And we'll get to it later. But even watching her in, in Montreal this week, like she's really doing well with that that Alberta patriotism thing. Yeah. And you know, we can debate the limits of it and she takes a, like she takes a reasonable approach to her. She's not completely absurd with her like combativeness, but I know when I watch the premiers all in that row, I'm finding myself cheering for her and I'm like, wait a second. So I have to think she's their best asset by mm-hmm. far. But mm-hmm. then again, we're back to our old question. Is she trying to out UCP the UCP? Is the fact that I like it a, a good thing or a bad thing? Like, did you like, I guess, we don't want to get to that. We'll, 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 we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but I mean, I, I, maybe, maybe a different question is, did those undecided voters like it? Right. And I think it probably depends on if they're unemployed. Like, honestly, people are upset. I spent some time in Calgary this week. Like, and I know that opinions will vary on this. And some people will take a more esoteric view that, like, of course, the economy has to change and the economic indicators are up. But two weeks ago, I was in Red Deer for work. And this week I was in Calgary and the people we're talking to, so U of A alumni who are somewhat reasonably successful mm-hmm. and there is a real, like a, truly a real fear of the e- economy, both today, six months out, 12 months out. Like it's not, um, theory for people. You know, it's easy for me here with a comfortable job at the U of A to have one perspective, but I talked to a guy who runs an, an insulation company in Red Deer, another who runs a prefab like industrial company, and they are like genuinely worried. So, you know, maybe none of how 
sorry, maybe all of how this is being interpreted, we have to remember it's being interpreted through the lens of people, the undecideds, but also the people who, like, politicians are determining their future. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we'll get to that later. But, you know, her snark at the premiers, the other premiers, is yeah. something that appeals to me, not only just because, like, as a political observer, it's kind of funny, but because I think she's tapping into, like, she must be meeting with people who really are terrified and upset. Yeah, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of... Uh I mean, there's no, there's no doubt. And we see, you know, you see economic indicators saying that, you know, unemployment has dropped by 1%. Over, overall, Alberta's economy is actually doing pretty well compared to a lot of other places in Canada. But it, for a lot of people, that's not actually, it's not actually impacting them. It's not yeah. actually, yeah. you know, leading to people doing better on a day-to-day basis in terms, if, of their, in terms of their businesses, in terms of their jobs. Yeah. Um, and it's not really, you know, you can, you can say, you know, unemployment has dropped by 1%, but there's still a lot of people who are on unemployment insurance. There's still a lot of people who, you know, are dealing with the slow, you know, dealing with the slow economy. And it hasn't really, it hasn't really, you could say trickled down to them if you want to talk about it that way. Well, and we've talked about the difference between academic truth and political truth. And one of the other, I guess, other illustrations of this would be watch how Notley and Kenny campaign for the six months, next six months. If you see one of them say what you just said, I know what you're saying. But if I can't fathom one of them getting up there doing a stump speech in Drayton Valley mm-hmm. and saying, you know, folks, <laughs> the economy is actually doing better. We've recovered. Like, the, well, we 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 could say this. We can say stuff like that because we're not running. We're not. <laughs> no, no one has to vote for me. I'm not right. asking anybody to vote for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can look at the. You know, we're, we're in a position where we can look at the numbers and we can look at the economic indicators, and then we can also look at how the how people are actually actually feel about yeah the and economic situation their economic situation and yeah. and you know the this is like the discussion around the this is like the discussion around the carbon tax it's you know economists will praise the carbon tax you know people who have a background in 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 in, in that industry and background in in that in that sector will talk about how these types of market mod, mar, market uh, market instruments work and how it will actually yeah, help right. decrease carbon emissions. But when you actually talk to people who are, you know, are, are in a bad, you know, personally in bad, a bad economic situation yeah. with their jobs, they're not sure how they're going to, you know, put food on the table. They're not sure how they're going to pay their bills. Yeah. You know, and then, and then this carbon tax shows up. It doesn't really matter to them. You know, it's, it's no, no real concession to them that uh, that they're going to get a rebate in six months like you know, when right. when 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 the issue is immediate right or that the overall employment numbers aren't so bad or yeah it's it reminds me of the 2006 seven era when stephen harper cut the gst um every single economist kind of joked about it and was like that is the worst thing you could do we know it won't work it's silly and the voters the people actually loved it like it was part of the platform because and I, I'm not in favor of, quote, dumbing down, end, end quote. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But when you have a simple, tangible message or a pocketbook issue, this is why nobody ever actually streamlines the tax code either. Because all these pocketbook issues, these boutique taxes or cutting the GST, things that people can actually see on their bill, is hugely popular. Like, And so when it comes to employment, yeah, how you feel about the economy might depend on if your sister-in-law or your father-in-law lost their job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my family, we have tons of people who depend on the energy sector, at least secondarily. Well, I guess we all do. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be really interesting to watch. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the classic story that the opposition wants to talk about how bad things are and the government wants to talk about how good things are. But you're seeing a premier. I really think she 
just doesn't have the cards to win the hand because she's playing it pretty well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, I don't know if in high school you guys ever played janitor or president or the other name. But sometimes when you're trying really hard to get to the president's chair, you just don't have the cards. You don't have a bunch of twos and aces and stuff. And I think that's kind of where she's at. Like, she's doing her best, but the structure of the game is not in her favor. She can't move the other premiers. She can't move the federal government. And there's really going to be a limit to how much she can do to right the ship. And meanwhile, she's very much aware, she even said, there may or may not even be a budget because the election's coming. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Is that it for nomination news? Uh, Yeah, there's lots of nominations going on. (laughs) What are your one or two highlights of what we should be watching for from now on? Uh, Well, I think... uh, Going into this upcoming week, I mean, the St. Albert NDP nomination will be interesting. We have two That's NDP right. MLAs running against each other, uh, Trevor Horn and Marie Renault. Uh, that will be very interesting to watch. So December December 12th. Wednesday. Wednesday. There you go. Mark it, mark it on your calendars for Wednesday. Um, I get my invite. but <laughs> Well, maybe you can just show up. Um, the other thing is, is that there are, the, the, the UCP almost has an entire slate of candidates nominated. Almost. Yeah. Um, they have, I think as, as of this morning, they have 76 candidates or 75 candidates nominated. Uh, and by, I think there are two more UCP nominations scheduled for the rest of 2018 in one in Lethbridge East and one in Laxane and Parkland, which will be interesting because that's the, that's the redo, the Mulligan nomination race, uh, that the UCP, they held a nomination race in Laxane and Parkland in August. Uh, and their candidate, Don, did I say Don Johnson, I think his name was Dale, Dale Johnson. Yeah. He was, um, he ended up being disqualified because there was, there were, uh, issues around, I think around <laughs> employment issues that he'd had. Yeah. I can't remember exactly specifically what, the, what, what the thing was. I, I think it had to do with, I with, do know, but I don't know how much of it is actually out. Okay. Did they report it? I think they yet? reported it. Yeah. There was something around some pretty some, crazy a crazy situation involving an employee and a personal relationship and alloca- uh, uh, sorry and accusations of a violent encounter or physical encounter but i know that it wasn't a court case no it was wasn't like an employment like standards labor labor, yeah. labor thing okay but well, it was it, unseemly enough to have yeah raised he, eyebrows yeah and he was disqualified after winning the nomination. After, yeah, and uh, so they, they're having a redo uh, in the, in Laxane and Parkland. the 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 other interesting race that's coming up, is, or probably the interesting race that's coming up, another interesting race that happened that there seems to be a bit of a bit of blowout afterwards in Calgary East. Uh, <laughs> allegations of fraud, forgery, improper inducement, and bribery. Uh, in uh, in Calgary East uh, against <laughs> sounds like uh, a typical nomination meeting. Yeah, and these these are allegations against uh, you know unproven other allegations against Peter Singh who won the nomination, but uh, the three or four other candidates who ran for the nomination, uh, Andrew or Andrew Andre Shabot Chabot 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 he's the former former alderman in Calgary in, in Edmonton or in Saint Albert they'd say Chabot but in Calgary they probably, probably Chabot Chabot yeah. or something yeah and and three other candidates. Uh, signed a a letter to uh, to UCP deputy leader uh, Leela Ahir with complaints. Apparently, there are sworn affidavits. There's issues with allegations about improper use of credit cards and people's businesses, and it just sounds like an absolute total gong show. So, um, the UCP said they're investigating it. Uh, so I wouldn't at this point 
reading everything I have about this, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another nomination race in Calgary East in early 2019 because it sounds like it's a total gong show. But we'll see. So stay tuned. Uh, more to come on the Calgary East uh, UCP status of the UCP nomination. The Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by the Well-Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's a great show, hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, produced by Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation is the supporter of the pod, the maker of the pod, and they help people create endowment funds. The podcast itself tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. It comes out just about monthly, and you can find out about their latest episode at the wellendowedpodcast.com. You can also subscribe there, so make sure that you do that. Their latest episode uh, features an interview with Nicole Smith uh, from Sage Seniors Association. So they talk to her a little bit about the challenges that senior women in Edmonton are facing and the ECF's own CEO, Martin Garber Conrad, joins Andrew and Elizabeth to talk about giving during the holiday season. You should check out that episode. That's episode 35. It's called Senior Women and you'll find it at the wellendowedpodcast.com. Also brought to you by ATB Financial. Uh, you hear us say it a lot that the uh, that the podcast network is supported by founding sponsor ATB. Full disclosure, I work there, and I'm going to tell you actually about a little project uh, that I've been working on at ATB with an economist by the name of Nick Ford. Nick is the host of the We Are Alberta podcast. It's a monthly podcast that tells stories of real Albertans through an economic lens. So think about people who are starting charities, starting businesses, those kinds of things. And this most recent episode is all about drones. It dropped the same day as the Dave Berta podcast. You can check that out by going to atb.com slash wearealberta or visit atb.com and look for the podcast label under the Learn tab. That's We Are Alberta with host Nick Ford. And you're going to want to check out this month's episode. It's all about drones. So this past week, uh, the first ministers from across Canada met in Montreal, and uh, and some stuff happened, including Ryan finding himself cheering for the Premier of Alberta. What were they talking about this past week? What was what were some of the big topics on the agenda, and how did Rachel Notley do? Well, well I think the the initial agenda uh, was the, the the initial topic of the, of the meeting was supposed to be about focused on interprovincial trade barriers and interprovincial trade. Uh, but what we saw last week before the meeting was Premier Rachel Notley joined with Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe calling on the Prime Minister to add uh, the, well, the situation in, 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 uh, in Western Canada's energy economy. And, and even specifically the price differential. Yeah, the price differential, exactly, yeah. To add, add it as an official item to the agenda. Because like, I think that the, 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 the Prime Minister's office said, oh, there'll be time to talk about those types of issues at the end. But We would talk but, about it anyway or yeah. something. So this meeting took place basically a week after Notley had cut, uh, basically announced the cut of of oil production in Alberta, but I think it was about 8.7% of the, for right. the 20th, 20 largest producers, I think. Yeah. And starting in January, 2019. Yeah. Starting in January, 2019 to 
try to do something with the price differential. And everybody will, everybody who listens to this podcast will probably remember uh, Alison Redford talking about the bitumen bubble a few years ago. This is basically what they're talking about. The whole idea that Alberta has to pay a, diff- a lower differential or has to, gets a lower differential for, for our oil because we have to ship it. It's harder to ship it to, to an export yeah. point. It's like we have one customer so they can take advantage of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and there's, always, there always been, there's always been a differential, but this past, the past few weeks, the differential has like, I don't know if you can't say skyrocketed, but plummeted through the floor, I guess. Well, and, and, and the net effect is, like I think the premier said, we're actually almost not even making any money. Yeah, yeah. It was resource, like, which is we're, a finite resource. We're paying to send the resource away. Yeah, and, and and it was like, I think they were getting like $10 a barrel for heavy yeah. crude, and which, which was insane. There's a lot of oil there. I think it's the world's second or third largest reserve, but it is a finite resource. Mm-hmm. I mean, the clock is ticking on perhaps fossil fuels, like in the macro sense, but... Yeah, it was kind of a mess. Like, I'm not super comfortable with the solution. But that but, said, how else do you deal with the glut? I'm not. Well, I'm and, not the pr- sure. and the price did go up after she announced it. Like, mm-hmm. she announced it on the Friday, I think it was, and on or she announced it on the sun- Sunday. The Sunday. Yeah. And I think between the Friday and the Monday, the price went up by like ten dollars a barrel. Yeah, but so, but for so example, in, Qatar in, also announced that day that they're leaving OPEC and they're not producing any more oil. So, yeah, like, well, we're such a fart in the windstorm mm-hmm. that you know it matters to us maximum. Yeah. But it's really hard to say that we move the market. Well, we, 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 yeah, I mean, realistically, I mean, I think, you know, it might have had an impact or it might have just been just the market, but we, you know, we have no impact in terms of Alberta on the international price of oil. So, no, like, so our, 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 yeah, so like our real problem, and this goes back to 2014 when the international price of oil plummeted, and it goes back to the previous time the international price, price of oil plummeted, and then the previous time the international price of oil plummeted. The international price of oil is really kind of our problem if we're going to continue continue on this same path. Right. I mean, the the real issue is that we're a, this is a boom bust economy. It's a boom bust commodity, and we have we're an expensive ex- production. Yeah, process. yeah, and we're an economy that 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 relies a lot. Not you know not as much as we used to, but yeah. but, but but still relies heavily on this wow. one industry. And in terms of government, uh, government revenues rely heavily on mm-hmm. on uh, natural resource royalties to fund the like the day to day operations budget of government. And, and two other changes, as anyone listening to this podcast will know, natural gas has probably permanently fallen out because mm-hmm. there's so much more production now, shale gas and everything. And the Americans are now a net producer of oil. So our number one and only customer doesn't even really need us anymore. So, of course, they're going to offer us a lower price. It's just, you know, and if you watch the president of the United States um, bragging and being happy at Saudi for helping keep the price of oil low, well, that's not in our best interest. Like, we are really not in a great spot. Donald Trump is not our friend. He's not our friend. No, he's not in any sense of the word. And so, yeah, it's ugly. And that differential... um, I mean, I don't love the solution of telling producers to stop producing, but I think for the same reason that they had all party support to do it, it probably had to happen at this point. But what happens in the medium term? What happens in the long term? We need more pipelines. Like it's end of the day, we needed, there was three potentials and currently batting zero for three uh, for the gateway, for Northern Gateway, Keystone XL. Now it looks like line three will be launching shortly. Mm -hmm. So that should help a little bit, but yeah, it's pretty scary. And I think even the three of us might agree that 50 years from now we'll be using dilithium crystals and stuff like that. <laughs> but in the meantime, we are a tiny producer who depends on it way hugely disproportionately. Yeah. And yeah. this is my concern with the NDP. Like, They didn't have to be in such a hurry to get us off of the fossil fuels. They didn't have to be in such a hurry to meet the 2030 target. And so a lot of the moves that they made were kind of like leading by example and being a hero. But 
and maybe I've said this on the podcast, if you watch Braveheart, the first guys out when the two armies race at each other, those first guys just get mowed down. So are they brave or are they stupid? Like, why would we be the first guy to run at the spears? Like, why weren't we just, let's take a step back. I agree with you. 50 years from now, Alberta should be into other forms of energy. But today, our economy depends on burning dinosaur dinosaurs well yeah but but, but but i can't blame the ndp for the for the drop in the international price of oil which is which is the issue and which is which is which what happened what happened before they were before they sure. even formed government but market so, cap is left because of an uncertainty i mean i think we all know what we're both saying yeah right? no 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 but i i mean i think i i think that we should you know we have a position to be a leader in terms of 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 climate change because we are uh, we a huge leader. producer huge yeah. producer a huge producer of carbon i think that the the political gamble that the NDP made, and I mean, now we're, now we're back talking about Alberta politics electorally, uh, the political gamble they made that they, you know, that would have paid off if things had gone better is that they tied the carbon tax and they tied, they tied it to social license. They tied it to the construction of the pipeline. Which and, was dicey. Which was. Even but, in hindsight. Yeah. I mean. It was risky. But, but I mean, if had it paid off, it might have, might have, like, she had it actually worked, it might have paid off really well for them. But She might have changed the game board. Yeah. If but, it had worked yeah but now now they're stuck in a situation where the trans mountain pipeline which is now owned by the federal government is stalled the the, the, day when it got blocked we bought it yeah yeah yeah. so so it's now stalled until you know due to a court order from the federal court of appeal they have to redo some of the consultations they have to do environmental assessment around tanker traffic i mean part of that is that i mean it's it's frustrating that, that it's creating all this political drama uh, and that it's having an economic impact. But the other part of it is like, if we're going to do this mega big mega project, we should do it properly. So like they shouldn't have cut yeah. corners from, from the, to, right. to, to begin with. So yeah, now they're having, now, so now they're having to, having to, having to fix that situation because they were, they did cut corners. This is the political equivalent of a nuclear meltdown. It's many little things failing. Like they just didn't like what you're describing, Dave, to some degree is different governmental bodies failing to do their due diligence and yeah. mm-hmm. ultimately paying a massive economic cost for it. This was the political equivalent of putting all your eggs in one basket to mix metaphors. Um, I wonder if I, I have a feeling there was nothing the Notley government could do to improve their fortune for reelection because if they had decided let's pivot the economy Right. I'm not. I don't believe governments can really do that. Not no. without like well, some pretty. They've been trying some pretty massive tools. Yeah, the, I mean the Alberta but, government but has been trying. I feel like we're building. A, we're trying to build a faster horse. Yeah. When in fact we should be manufacturing a car. We're managing to the decline. More metaphors. Yeah. We're managing the decline <laughs> at a macro stage. Yeah. Like we all, even the Harper government agreed. I think this 2100 or 2050 that fossil fuel emissions would be virtually zero. And you've got all these countries and provinces saying by 2030 we don't want any gas powered cars anymore yeah well volkswagen has said that, yeah. that that's next generation of, of combustion engines coming out in 2026 yeah. will be its last will so be when you have companies like dilithium crystals yeah but so you, when, is, when you have big mega companies like that like they're, they're looking to the future they, they want to succeed out. yeah we needed canada east we needed all of them like it's, I, I know it's so crazy that we didn't do canada east which was mostly an existing you're talking, you're talking energy east is what i'm you're sorry talking about. energy east mm-hmm. and that you know back to the first minister's conference the the premier of new brunswick was talking about it again this week we had what was it? Three quarters of the infrastructure was ready. They had to build the pipeline from, I think it was North Bay to Quebec. Yeah. I think that's and then what there it was, was a reversal of a pipeline. Yeah. You know, we needed to, we needed to pump baby pump for these 20 years 
and put the ass. Now I also would have advocated for what the Heritage Savings Trust Fund was supposed to be. That's was, that's the other that's the other part of yeah, this is that we, we, did, we didn't do the savings that we needed to. Because a hundred years from now, our great grandkids yeah. are going to be talking about how the oil sands still have lots of oil in it and they're useless now. Yeah, yeah. So and so instead of having a, instead of continuing the legacy that Peter Lougheed uh, implemented, where we were putting huge amounts of royalties. It's supposed to be a third. Right? Yeah, huge amount of royalties in, into the into the Heritage Trust Fund. I mean, I think with the the trust fund sitting around 16 or 17 billion dollars right now and it yeah. you know, I've 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 heard estimates just saying that had we continued that investment, we could have more than 100 billion dollars in the bank, like in that yeah. savings account, which would be massive and that that, that I mean that that would be huge for the for the future of Alberta, but although but, in a confederation like ours with 12 other cats would a fund of a hundred billion dollars have actually been allowed to sit there? Well, like, that's a, that's another political discussion. Would yeah. that have become like a part of the transfer payment formula or, or something? something? It's a pretty juicy target. Well, when if, you've if, got, I mean, if we if we had a, you're yeah. talking about receiving transfer payments. If we have a hundred billion dollars in a bank, we don't really need. Right. We don't that really need transfer right. payments. And people talk about the Norwegian um, sovereign fund, and they are a sovereign country. So it's a little bit yeah. different. But you know, there are other jurisdictions too which had a fund, and yeah. just even well, if La- it Alaska is an, ex- an example right. of, of they they put that money away. If we had set up our you know the fund as an endowment and we lived off the interest, we'd be set for generations. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't just the last government that raided the the Lougheed. Um, Kitty Heritage Savings Trust Fund. It was all of them. Yeah, I even think the late Lougheed government started doing it. Well, they started. They from what from what I remember, uh, under Don Getty. So it would have been in nineteen seventy five or, or nineteen eighty five or eighty six. They stopped actually investing. They stopped putting my new money into the Heritage Fund. Yeah, and then under Klein, they didn't they didn't put any money into it. And then it wasn't until Stelmac, uh, Ed Stelmac became premier that they started to again start to slowly put money back into the back into the into the heritage savings trust fund but even then at that point we talked about earlier about the price of natural gas falling it was right around when stalemate came in that the price of natural gas fell yeah. so so went from a dollar for the oil and huge natural gas yeah to not and not right <laughs> yeah like yeah exactly so so during the klein era when we had massive you know in the in the, in the mid and late klein era where we had a really high the high price of oil high natural gas lots of money coming through alberta we didn't save it a lot of it just left the province so, you know, that's, that's a, that's kind of really, that's, if there's a missed opportunity in the history of Alberta, the recent history of Alberta, that's really our big missed opportunity is that we had the opportunity to, to save that money and plan for the future for our grandchildren and our great grandchildren and their great grandchildren. And we, you know, we yeah. totally, we uh, screwed the pooch on that one. So we're a little bit in the weeds, uh, as we always are on the show, but from your guys' perspective, did Premier Notley move the needle for Alberta this past week at these at this series of meetings? Well, I was I was going to make the observation actually that a little different, but related to that, that the chessboard has shifted under Justin Trudeau's legs, where when he was elected, he had several major provincial allies, and you know he had the Premier of Ontario who was a significant ally. You could say the Liberal government in BC was a lot more friendly. You could say, you know, the Liberal government in Quebec. Um, and they were all on board with his agenda, like broadly speaking. And now, like that McLean's article that people make fun of. The resistance. The, the resistance. But if you're Justin Trudeau's political advisors, like you've got a really different situation now mm-hmm. where most of the country is being governed by your political enemies who are being very explicit about opposing the carbon tax. They've turned the carbon tax from a close to a consensus into a bit of a poison pill. Like it is pretty explicit in Alberta 
in Ontario, certainly, and a bunch of other provinces that they are against it. I think even PEI came out hard against it. So it's 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 gone from an asset to a bit of a hot potato. And so I don't know if Premier Notley, how much credit she deserves for moving the needle at this first minister's meeting, but I think that it's definitely shifting under Prime Minister Trudeau. Now, I'm not actually ready to to predict that he'll lose the next federal election, but it's certainly a different situation than it was. Mm-hmm. You've got, oh, in Manitoba. I forgot to say Manitoba. Yeah, there. yeah. I think, I mean, I think Notley, I mean, I think she did everything she could at this, at the first minister's meeting. I mean, she was very public in terms of her position. I mean, she played the Captain Alberta. And some great lines. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. What did she say? When I land and the cab comes to pick me up in Montreal, it'll be running on Saudi oil. And all these things, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Give yeah. it to them. Yeah, Go you, there and yell at them. Ryan yeah. texted Dave and I, and, and it was just like <laughs> flame emojis yeah. the whole time. Like you were impressed. I she, was. She, she was on fire. Yeah, she's good at the one-liners. Yeah, right? she is. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it. I mean, I think it helps to put some distance between her and Trudeau on this. Helps issue. her certainly. Yeah, it helps her. And the, uh, the conservative ads are running them yeah. th- picture together. Yeah. smiling shaking yeah, hands yeah exactly that's the other thing is the, is the ucp really wants to tie notley and trudeau and so she's really trying to put some distance between her and trudeau i think one of the things that's good that's interesting i mean we, we talked about how the provincial premiers have changed how there's this now i mean the mclean's magazine the coalition of of provincial premiers against the carbon tax resistance I think with their fist the, in yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How we do it? yeah yeah the old old white guys Pretty resistance close. um but uh, I think that this will, hindsight being 2020, it's kind of a, a learning lesson for Trudeau in terms of working with the provinces. I think that yeah. if Trudeau gets reelected in 2019, which I think he will get reelected in 2019, I think that you'll see a different approach taken between the federal government and the provincial governments on these national issues. I mean, hindsight yeah. being 2020, it might have made more sense in terms of effectiveness for Trudeau to just go ahead and implement a carbon tax system without the provinces on board. Well, what you're talking about is the Harper and Pierre Elliott Trudeau yeah. approach to federalism. Yeah, what was it, Trudeau, the, the senior Trudeau's comment? that Head waiter the, to yeah, the Yeah, provinces. exactly, yeah. And turned no, out to be the head waiter for the pro- provincial leaders. Yeah. Stephen Harper took a lot of heat for not doing <laughs> the first minister's meetings anymore. And whether it's right or left or whatever, now this is an illustration of why. The the tenor, I'm sorry, 13 premiers, they don't even agree with each other. They definitely all vilify Ottawa. Like, they can mm-hmm. agree on that. But beyond that, so what the Harper approach was, he met with the premiers all the time. But he met with them one-on-one. And they negotiated deliverables one-on-one. So, I mean, opinions will vary on a command and conquer strategy or a play-off-each-other strategy. But he had great relationships with the premiers, but it was often done one-on-one in a controlled environment. You know, when, when any prime minister shows up in front of 13 premiers, they're, they're never going to win that. No, no. Never. It would be like if the premier showed up in front of all the mayors. Like, mm-hmm. the nature of politics is that you win by opposing the central villains, right? So I, now you can kind of see the wisdom of the stronger approach to federalism. And Harper did something similar to what you just suggested, Dave, when he renegotiated the health transfer, health I forget what it's technically called. Yeah, the health, the health transfer. They actually the health and gave social them, transfer, I think is what it's called. Yeah, he actually gave them a permanent certain percentage increase. And, of course, we're all reliving the spin now that it was seen as a cut because it was a lesser increase. Well, mm-hmm. and, and over time, it's less. That's the other thing. But he just said, forget it. We're giving you this increase. Done. And people lost, I mean, all the premiers lost their minds. And, of course, maybe it was somewhat valid and maybe it wasn't. But this is why. Because any prime minister who shows up at that table is never just structurally... Not in a good place. Yeah. So she did well. She played the cards. 
if we're gonna do another metaphor, you know, if it's poker, I think she had like a pair of sevens. Like she represented them well, but she's probably not gonna take the hand. She, I still don't know how she elects forty-four MLAs in the in the spring, and there wasn't much more she could have done there for that challenge. As we enter 2019, there are two major elections on the horizon here for Albertans. One is the provincial election, and one is the federal election. So, Dave, you recently did a piece on your blog, and I heard you on 630 Chat on the Jesperson Show as well, talking about the timing of the next provincial election. So, what do you think? When is the Notley government likely to drop the writ and go to the polls? That's that 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 is the big question. Um, According to Alberta's Elections Act, they're supposed the next provincial election is supposed to be held between March first and May thirty first, twenty nineteen. But as we all know from the last provincial election, when the election was called a year early, it doesn't always go along go around schedule. Well, the, I believe the first line in the act says nothing contained below here limits the ability of the lieutenant governor to call the election whenever she wants. Yes, yeah, exactly. But Prima Notley did go out of her way to say she was she would be following both the spirit yep. and the written letter of the law for this. So yep. she's, she's gone out of her way to do it. So yep. I do believe that she'll call it in that window sometime. Yeah, yeah, it'll go... Uh, I, I think that they will, even though it, it seems odd that the NDP have only so far nominated about 30 or 31 candidates. I think they'll have about 35 or 36 candidates nominated by the end of 2018. So they have about... How Machiavellian. They're have, just going to do them all in one big shot they, so that people well, don't notice. Well, you might have. I mean, January or February, if they, if they if if Notley's going to call an election in the spring, it'll be uh, the first two or three months of uh, of 2019 will be very busy for NDP nominations. Did you guys hear her comments this week, the other day, about how there may or may not even be a budget? I thought that was interesting for that, her. A bit of a Freudian slip, I think. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I I guess I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, typically. We have uh, in, in the, the progressive conservatives in the past few elections, I think actually in the past three elections, they've either tabled the budget and then dropped the writ immediately or tabled the budget and ran after the budget was passed. But who's the last premier that tabled a bad news budget? Jim Prentice. Jim Prentice in 2015 yeah. tabled the budget that I think alienated it was, everybody. Yeah. It was a it was, yeah. it was It was public service cuts, tax increases. Yeah. It was the uh, uh, look in the mirror budget. And yeah, they would, and there's an argument to be said that he was being realistic, that it was going to be rough. Yeah, but uh, what's the expression? The the eve of an election is not a time to be putting out bad news budgets. I oh, think was, she'd be it, better off. It was incredibly tone deaf in 2015. That, and if uh, the premier's finance people are telling her that it's going to be an ugly budget, yeah, I don't know what the upside of her putting that in writing is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I mean, I think there's, I mean, there's a couple schools that there's a couple schools of thought on this. I mean, first of all, you could use a you could introduce a budget and use it to talk about and highlight investments in healthcare, investments in education, investments in public transit, like the Green Line in Calgary and the West Edmonton LRT, which will be prominent, play prominent in the NDP's re-election campaign. Yeah. But the platform at this, will do that either way. Yeah, but at this end, but I mean, when you introduce when you introduce a budget, you could you can use all the mechanisms of government to yeah. to send cabinet ministers on tours across the province, and well, and nobody would do that. Well, Those that network of amazing airports in tiny towns is has nothing to do with fanning out no, ministers for political reasons. Not, not, not at all. <laughs> Have you ever been but to the Peace River Airport? I've never been to the Peace River Airport. I've been to the, I've been to the Lethbridge Airport and then Grand Prairie. The Peace River one is beautiful. Yeah, huh. it's small, but it's beautiful. Yeah, may have some, had something to do with the political machinery. Yeah, who was the cabinet minister up, up there at the time? Was that Marv Moore? Who was the cabinet minister up in Peace River? Well, I think? Late it was. Uh, or. Uh, 
Well, it was Frank Oberly, Frank who was Oberle. the yeah, who was the, who was the more late, more yeah, until the until the last election. Now, uh, the other part about when we're talking about introducing a budget is yeah, the economic side of the budget might not be fantastic. But I mean, she has to do a financial update, though. Yeah, so the, so under under legislation, the provincial government has to release uh, the third quarter financial update by or before February 28th, 2019. That's in legislation. Right. So either way... Actual legislation. Actual not, legislation. Not like election... The, yeah, no, no, no. This is, yeah. this is the Fiscal Planning and Transparency Act. Um, so on or before February 28th, 2019. So, you know, and unless an election is called during that period. So, so, so if there's an election, if election is called before that... They won't have to. They won't have to actually have to introduce it until so, after the oh, election. Oh, and the, the election itself must be held between March first and May thirtieth. Election day. Not Ele- election. election okay, day. Right. Yeah. So, and their so loss is twenty eight days. So yep. they c- wow. The red could drop February second. Is that what the math is? Yeah, February February second, and it could go on honestly like March first. I I cannot imagine any upside to the new Democrats talking about provincial finances immediately prior to an election, whether it's a budget or or uh, so. A so legislated update. So you're saying it looks like her best interest would have been to drop the writ early. However, Mr. Jason Kenney just pulled a very interesting maneuver by basic, and I haven't spoken to anyone there about this, basically calling on that exact thing. So does that change her decision or are we no, just like, I don't think so. Guessing? That's just, that's just hot air coming from Jason Kenney. It's, okay. it's so him sucking up that, oxygen. I don't think that's going to play into the, I don't think Jason Kenney calling for the election to be called on February 1st is going to keep lead her the from end. doing it is what I'm saying. Well, I don't think it's going to have an, have a fa- have a factor way. in at all. I no, don't that, that's inside baseball. That's, it's a story for less yeah. than a news. And cycle. you know what? It's smart internal politics because he's sitting on 87 candidates now who are like snorting and ready to go. Yeah. So you think that, do you think Adam and Dave, her best interest then would be to drop it right away or to govern a little bit longer and hope it recovers. Well, the, well, this is, this is the question. I think if they're going to go in the spring, I think that they should, I think that they're going to go early. And I wrote about this in my blog post. I mean, it's kind of a shrewd calculation to call it early before you, I mean, number one, before you have to table a budget, before you have to table the, the fiscal update. Uh, and also while, you know, if you're looking at, at demographics and where voters are, you're gonna you're gonna call the election while the snowbirds are vacationing down right. in the southern states, and we all know people looking at the polls, and just just in terms the of, wisdom of age makes them vote conservative. Well, the, the, the UCP <laughs> polls much stronger in terms of, of voters over over the age of 65. Whereas if you if you call it early when the snowbirds are down south and the university campuses are still in session, the NDP polls stronger among university educated voters and stronger among younger voters, yeah. and university campuses and engaging and mobilizing the student vote will make a difference in could make a difference in in a, in a handful of ridings that the NDP it hold. is a handful though I mean it is a handful we're talking, talking about, about like six or seven ridings across the province that the NDP hold and if it's 50 to 25 it of course it matters but you're talking about massaging the margins here I mean yeah. maybe maybe if you're well, the then, NDP candidate in Edmonton Riverview you care about this yeah and that, that, that's the kind of thing that I think will make it could potentially make a difference in getting getting those votes what out. would it take for her politically to just govern for another year like if she thinks she's gonna lose anyway well, or if they've made the calculation that they're they're one and done why not i mean yeah. just to be i'm just gonna ask the question why not govern for another year because because of the promise she made about this letter and spirit of the law if People she pol- politicians promise things all the cir- time circumstances change sure Sorry. okay so that might be that might be what she says but then the ucp gets to beat her over the head with that for a whole year oh and they yeah. would yeah yeah I don't know. I don't know what impact that would have on voters. Like again, I think, I think that the 
the undecideds and, and some of the more cynical people would be like politicians are just doing the thing they always do. But yeah. I don't know. I just don't. Do don't they think... have the policy legs, the legislation legs to govern for another year? Because they would have to do a whole other session in mm-hmm. the spring. Mm-hmm. Do a they have speech, a budget? Uh, yeah. yeah. What has I mean, it, presumably the machinery of government carries on and the process would be bubbling up legislation options. But politically, what's left to do? Like if you look at their mandate, their mm-hmm. promises. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be that they're, I mean, in terms of the legislative agenda, they've gone through their legislative agenda, which has been, I mean, they've had a pretty ambitious pretty legislative ambitious. agenda over the past four Absolutely. years. And and it seemed to be, I mean, talk, talking to people at the ledge uh, over the past couple of weeks, it, there seemed to be a consensus that this was the last meaningful legislative session going before the next election. I mean, it's it wouldn't be uncommon for a government to have a, a couple weeks of a session in the spring. Um, I mean, we see that with with previous governments, you have a throne speech, you introduce a couple bills, you introduce a budget, and then you drop the writ. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that that's something that that could happen. But in terms of like passing a meaningful legislative agenda, this it seemed like this last session, which ended last week, uh, was was pretty much it for the NDP. So, so do you um, agree with but, Adam? But, that's the cost. That's the price she would pay if she governed for another year. Like that's it. Because to me, it's kind of dog bites man. Well, if you're going to lose anyway, I mean, I mean, if, if the thing yeah. is right now, if an election were held today, the UCP would win according to all the polls, according to all the indicators, how that's, that's going to look in the spring. I don't know. Um, I, we I have think big, good... big things would have to change for the NDP to all of a sudden take a lead in the polls. Right. Big things that I don't necessarily think are going to change between now and next Structural spring. Structural things like yeah. the pipeline, but, the price of oil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but if they, but I mean, if they make the calculation and try to wait out the clock until the five-year mark, which they can under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The Constitution says they have five years. Um, yeah. Election time is up to Her Majesty, not yeah. the province. Yeah, exactly. So so if they were to wait, I mean, there's you, you, you take the gamble. I mean, Line 3, talked about a lot of the Line 3 pipeline coming online next year. There could be movement to approve, you know, trans, or the, the Trans Mountain Pipeline could be approved. Construction could start. We could see the change in the price, a change of the price, and price of oil. The economy could rebound. Um, maybe, or maybe not, or maybe things get worse. And if, so if you're going to lose anyway, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the, the gamble is to wait until next fall or wait until, uh, until next spring, like spring 2020. I think I, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but I just wonder to Ryan's point, like, what are they going to do for another year except just hang on and continue the culture war that we've all been watching happen? Well, and you have to think they, they're saving a few bombs. Like I would think in terms of information they have on the opposition yeah, or? October surprises yeah. in the yeah. month of May, like they must be saving a few. The one argument that I would say politically in their favor for waiting until the fall is that I don't think the federal NDP will be much of a draw away for the volunteers from the provincial NDP. Mm-hmm. If there's two elections happening at the same time, well, the federal NDP, federal NDP are barely a factor here. Right. In but, it, but the federal UCP is a huge factor. Yeah. So a lot of UCP candidates teams will be busy federally. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tactical and it's inside baseball. But it, none of her volunteers will be, except for in Edmonton Strathcona. Mm-hmm. You know, none of her none of her volunteers are going to have a hard choice if they have to choose which NDP to help. So knowing knowing the acrimonious relationship now between Premier Notley and 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 uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. They're probably not talking about these kinds of political tactics. What do you think, if, if Trudeau has to go to the polls in 2019, uh, in fall of 2019, does the NDP in Alberta sticking around for another year help or hurt the Liberals? Help. Uh, why do you say help? Why does it help them? Because Jason Kenney is going to be 
probably a stronger critic of Trudeau than any of the federal opposition. I should be careful with what well, I say. More know, aggressive. No, I understand yeah, what you mean. Yeah. And what we've seen is that, I mean, the, the provincial conservative parties, so we're talking about the, the UCP in, in Alberta, the Saskatchewan party in Saskatchewan, the PC party in Ontario. I mean, they're very much just branches of the, of, of the, of the federal conservative party that this is a, you know, you don't have the kind of distinction that you had when the PC between the PCs and the federal conservatives or the PCs and the Canadian Alliance or the PCs and the reform party, which where they were actually like culturally two no, different right. parties. Yeah. These, these are very much, they're marching in lockstep. In fact, they're probably so, more in Alberta, more federal. Yeah. I don't know how it works in Ontario. I think it's the opposite. I think they're more provincial, but it's the same people. Yeah, the volunteers yeah. at the the, sor- the sign putter uppers and the door knockers are the same people. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of having you know the difference between having Rachel Notley as premier of Alberta during the federal election or Jason Kenney, I mean, I think it's. I don't know. I don't know if Rachel Notley helps, but I think Jason Kenney would hurt them more. That's what I meant. Yeah, relatively. Yeah, because I think. I mean, having a federal election before the next provincial election would give Notley an opportunity to basically campaign against Trudeau and put a lot of distance between her and Trudeau. And I mean, remember, they're not actually, I mean, even though they were allies on no, they're not. the carbon tax, they're not They're not members of the same party. But she doesn't have a horse in the federal. No, race. well, that's the other thing is that is There's the, no. the, the, play, the play between the federal NDP and the provincial yeah. NDP in Alberta is that I think it it helps Jagmeet Singh if Rachel Notley is not Premier of Alberta when the next federal election is crazy. Yeah. So these are arguments I think for her to wait till the fall. I don't, I'm not, I'm not predicting she will wait till the fall because I think she made it too clear and they're running out of steam. Yeah. But these are arguments for it. Yeah. I I mean the, the, the one thing that I, that, that, that is kind of the, I don't know, an indicator or, or, or and it, something that, that might indicate that they might wait past the spring is is the the slate of candidates they've nominated. They've only nominated thirty so far, and and I mean they they have, they have a lot of lot of lot of ga- lot of ground to make. But maybe I'm maybe I'm cynical, but I think if they had to nominate a whole package of thirty or forty people, and they wanted to avoid some of the controversies the UCP's been facing from nominations, the way to do it is in a one weekend splurge well from what i understand they've been doing is that they've been trying to vet candidates before they actually announce to, to wow, avoid to avoid the uh the 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 weekly bozo eruptions that the ucp have ucp yeah. uh, have but you would still with. see controversies you still yep. see accusations of the the people who lose would say it was unfair the machiavellian way to do a bunch of bad things is to do them in one big one big batch just do it and then you dole out good news slowly you do ugly things quickly. And I think nominations count as ugly things. So I don't think she opposes, and I obviously don't advise her, but I doubt she's that opposed to having to do them in a hurry mm-hmm. and be able to say, well, it's the UCP's fault or whatever. Mm-hmm. As, as we mentioned before, fall of 2019 is also when there's supposed to be a federal election do, do, do. called. Do you, do you know the exact date, Dave? It's obviously different than the provincial rules. It's similar, though. Yeah. Because they were October 2015. The next federal election is scheduled to take place on or before October 21st, 2019. But no more than... It's the same classic legislation. The government can't live more than five years, which would be October 2020. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. Now, Trudeau, my sense is if he could call it today, he would. I think he looks at the ground in front of him and where this carbon tax thing is going, and I think he doesn't see it getting any easier. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want Jason Kennedy to be in power. Um, because it won't help him like day to day, not even during the election. I just mean like governing. <laughs> so I really do believe the Trudeau liberals will pull the plug as soon as they can, which I think would be that window of basically October. Well, and there, you know, you see people questioning 
on social media and in discussions, you know, he's never going to win Alberta. He doesn't care. He needs Ontario, Quebec, and BC. Yeah, I think yeah. these four seats are maybe not so he. But the other three, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, so he didn't win by very much. No, man. he didn't. It took yeah. a lot to, or the other way is, it took a lot for him to win. Definitely. Yeah, we're talking about Emerjeet Sohi and Edmonton Millwoods. It was a really close race in the last election. Like, and Tim Upple's nominated again. Yeah, so it's a rematch again. Yeah, yeah. My sense, of course, I agree with what you just said, Adam. It really looks to me like they've written off these four seeds. Um, I think he might have really damaged Emerjeet Sohi's future political career by making him <laughs> take the. The oil the file? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Minister of Natural Resources. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, the liberals don't need, they don't, they sh- they probably won't need Alberta in order to win the next election in terms of the, the three, or, well, the three seats they have left in Alberta because Darshan King is an, in an independent. Right. So, or if they win government, Alberta's three or four seats won't be a big factor. I don't think it'll be the deciding factor. Um, so right now, as we said, the, the liberals have three three MPs in Alberta, Kent Hare and Calgary Centre, who's running for re-election. Uh, who I think will be in a very tough race to get reelected. Yeah. Amarji Sohi, who's running for Minister of Natural Resources, who's running for re-election, Emma Woods, I think who actually, you know, it'll, I think it'll be a, it'll be a tough race. Um, so he's a popular politi- local yeah. politician. He's, he would he's be. a very skilled retail politician, so I wouldn't, I yeah. wouldn't count him out. But I think he would be outperforming his ticket or his brand. Yeah, the... yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be a, there'll be a, a sizable Amarji Sohi vote in that riding. Um, we'll have to watch then, for his signs to see if they have Trudeau or yeah, Liberal on them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, Randy Boissonneau in Edmonton Center, who I think actually probably has a good, pretty good shot of getting reelected. Um, it's yeah. a, traditionally it's it's elected Liberals into the past. There's there's a, a pretty sizable progressive vote. The NDP did quite well in terms of of, of placing third in the last election, and so I think there'll be a lot of progressive votes that will be up for grabs. Um, that I would imagine would probably go to Randy rather than go to the conservative candidate. So, but we'll see. Sorry. Yeah. So James Cumming is a very strong candidate, like on paper and in practice. He's the type of person that we would want running for office. He's got a strong business background. So he's the conservative candidate? Yeah. And so he ran last time in 2015. Mm-hmm. He is running very hard. Like they are mm-hmm. basically campaigning full time. He's out four or five, six times a week. Mm-hmm. On weekends, they're doing blitzes. Like he's doing everything they can. I agree with you that the demographics of that riding are getting tougher for conservatives for sure, mm-hmm. but it's a bellwether riding too. Like it, yep. it goes both ways. And I wouldn't, if I was Randy Boston, I would not be resting on any sort of sense of like safety. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't get the impression that, that Randy Boston does. I mean, he's as you know, he's a strong campaigner. He's out at events all the time. Yeah. Um, he's pretty active, but it, it will be a, it will be a race to watch. I mean, I think he realizes that, you know, you can't really take anything for granted and if you're a federal liberal MP yeah, in Alberta, right? The federal brand is not helping. No, no, exactly. And so that'll be interesting. And then, you know, it's interesting if you think of the Trudeau path to a majority last time he won, they won a hundred percent of the seats in the Atlantic. A hundred percent. Yeah. All. Every seat, even all those New Brunswick seats that we thought we were going to hold. So, <laughs> I think he may lose a few seats there, but the the thing that's just, it's the same old story that's really going to determine it would be Quebec and then Ontario. And in Quebec, you've got basically the block is basically disintegrated. Um, I'm told that the Bernier party thing actually hurts us in Quebec in a few seats. Like out here, if he's popular down in some rural Southern Alberta riding where the conservatives get 80% and he takes yeah. 10%, no big it deal. It doesn't really matter. But in the Quebec city region, where he's actually quite organized, I'm told it actually could be a problem. But That'll be interesting the, to watch. That just adds up to helping Trudeau, right? So he'll he'll get 60, 50, 60 seats in Quebec before we even hit the Ontario border. Um, Doug Forge has won 
a huge majority in Ontario. So who knows how that plays? Because by then the voters may be looking to change that. Well, and, and I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't would be surprised if Trudeau ran against Doug Ford, essentially. They basically and, are at each yeah. other's throats all the yeah, time. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's been, what, seven months yeah. since Doug Ford has become premier and it's basically falling apart. Constant warfare, both ways. Yeah. Like Catherine McKenna calls out Doug Ford by name. Doug Ford calls out... Justin Trudeau, my name. It's one of those classic examples where they're all winning by doing it. Yeah. So, but, you know, if they get half of the Ontario seats, so now they've got 30 in the Maritimes, they've got 60 in Quebec, and they've got 60 in Ontario where there's a majority, right? And yeah. that's the problem with this country. Like, we can be as mad as we want out here, but it's over before we vote. Mm-hmm. Well, then the other factor is British Columbia, where, where the Liberals did very well in the last federal election and, and might actually do even better yeah. in the, in this upcoming federal with election with the, the collapse of the NDP. Exactly. The other one that, that I think will be interesting to watch in in British Columbia is, well, I mean, on Vancouver Island, uh, the Liberals, number one, I think that the Liberals could actually do well on Vancouver Island and the Green Party as well in terms of to see if Elizabeth May is able to expand seats on, on Vancouver Island if but the NDP vote collapses. There's like six seats, though, right? Yeah. It's the lower mainland as the problem, and the NDP are doing very poorly, and even provincially there, yeah. like people aren't super thrilled. So Trudeau picks up a couple seats there. Yeah. So it's hard not to be fatalistic as a conservative, and I have lots of friends working in the Sheer campaign, and you know it's nothing against Sheer. I think he's good, but the system is really tough. The electoral system sometimes um it's just that first past the post system it's uh <laughs> it's just it just squeezes out the parts <laughs> squeezes out those fringe parties it's i do uh, yeah i do support first past the post but it's the population <laughs> you know you've got a third of the province in one sorry a third of the country's population in one province and a quarter of the country's population in another province yeah it would be like if new york and california existed but none of the other big states did and then just a bunch of small. States. This 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 is how progressives feel in a, about conservatives in Alberta, Ryan. So <laughs> so I don't really have much sympathy for you. Well, I'm not saying change when, the system. When 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 the Liberals and the NDP win a handful of seats in Edmonton and get crushed everywhere else provincially, uh, uh, this, this is exactly how I feel about Calgary and and, and rural yeah. Alberta. So no fair point, and it you know where you feel like it's over, and actually provincially it's the same thing in a way. Um, if rural Alberta comes out for the UCP and Calgary comes out for the UCP. It won't really matter what Edmonton does yeah. from a certain perspective. Yeah. And yeah, part of it is that's the nature of population. But I really think Trudeau's path to power is a lot easier mm-hmm. than the Conservatives' path yeah. to power this yeah. time. And the NDP are not helping. However, I was the one that pointed out and the show started that the 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 war field has changed for Trudeau also. So who knows? I mean, I think that's why he'd rather go right now because the polls are good. Yeah, well, and that's, that's another... Uh, another reason why a p- potential provincial election could get postponed to the fall. If Trudeau calls an election in the spring, right. I mean, I think Notley would be justified to say, you know what, we didn't expect the feds to call this in the spring. We're going to postpone until the fall until the fall or later in the summer because we don't want to have a provincial and federal election at the same time, which yeah. I think that would actually make sense. And I think a lot of people would see that as reasonable. And it would allow her to take a couple swings to Justin Trudeau at the same time. Yeah, that's true. And not host Jagmeet Singh when he comes through. Yeah. Kind of throw some sand in his eye, too, yeah. Last week, we launched the Dave Berta Best of Alberta Politics 2018 survey. And we want to hear from all our listeners and the readers of DaveBerta.ca about their choices in seven categories. So as I said, we've launched seven seven different categories where people can submit their choices for 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 who they think the, the best MLA for uh, in Alberta for 2018 was to 
who's the best new candidate to watch in, in 2019. So submissions uh, are open now. You can go to dayberta.ca. There's a survey monkey survey. Um, submissions for the first round will close on December 12th, 2018 at 12 p.m. And at that point, the top three choices in each category will be included in a round of voting starting on December 13, 13th, 2018. And that round of voting will be open until December 19th. And the winners will be announced on December 20th before Christmas. So I, I'm thrilled to say we've had, I think, more than 350 votes or submissions so far, wow. which is which is more than we received last year in the 2017 survey in the entire week. So this, this survey has only been open for four days. So yeah. I'm thrilled that there's tons of people in the know who are <laughs> filling out... Uh, yeah, submitting their choices, and I'm looking forward to seeing who ends up being in the top three. Do you and have going to the vote? Do you have like an IP logger on the survey so you can see if they're all coming from the legislature? <laughs> I, I haven't checked, <laughs> but uh, but I will. And I did launch it the day before session ended at the legislature, so I imagine there were some staffers who were like bus- busily trying to put their bosses' names in. Not much else to do at this point, or the Kremlin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 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 well. If there are certain results, we'll know the Russians have hacked us. Which results would those be? Good question. Vladimir Putin. Because well, it is an open-ended question. You can type in your own name. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Which actually speaks to the audience because it's actually a bit of work to do mm-hmm. this survey. So I remember last year some of my conservative friends were asking why so many left of center MLAs were on ballot. And it's like, well, guys, it's an open-ended mm-hmm. ballot. Let's, so let's write in. So friends out there, conservative friends in particular, make sure you vote. This is the yep. only opportunity where writing in on a ballot will work yep. for anything. Well, yeah, in California. Sp- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Ask uh, Governor Brown. Which governor was it? Jerry Brown? One of them was recalled. Oh, that was uh, Gray Davis. Gray Davis. I knew it was a color. Gray. Yeah. Brown. Yeah. Gray. Brown. Gray. It's like the most uninspiring political name ever. Gray <laughs> Davis. Well, now I know that... Like, uh, <laughs> Bland, like, be like Tom Bland. Yeah, Tom Bland, or like I was gonna say, like like uh, Mauve Beige, <laughs> Mauve Beige, Governor of Georgia, if only. Um, Ryan, I have not yet submitted my picks for this first round, but mm. I believe that you have. Sounds like a political way of me asking you who you voted for. <laughs> who did who did you vote for, Ryan? Well, so let's go through. Yeah, let's um, go through it. Okay. As the partisan hack of this little group, I don't mind sharing my answer. I mean, Dave and I are both also hacks in other ways. So for number one, who was the best Alberta MLA of 2018? I voted for a guy you may have heard of. His name is Jason Kenney, <laughs> and he's a pretty strong MLA. He's really he's, impressed me with he's his new or performance. He's been around for a while? Or? Yeah, he's, you know, some people have known about him for a while. He's a known quantity. Yeah. He's, he is a known quantity, and that's why the attacks on him won't work. You felt like he came out guns ablazing and did a good job this year. Yeah, he has, I hate the expression, but he has changed the game in Alberta politics. He has since the day he announced he's running for PC leader. Mm-hmm. Dave, who do you think, who are you expecting to see or who have you voted for for the best Alberta MLA of 2018? Well, I chose, um, my, my selection for best Alberta MLA of 2018 was the uh, was the person who won the award last year. And that, has to, that, that is a, uh, a premier by the name of Rachel Notley. <laughs> and uh, Ryan and I were thrilled to actually get the opportunity to present Premier Notley with her award and sit down mm-hmm. and do an interview with, with Both uh, of with them, her. actually. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, with Kenny mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and some of the other winners as well. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, listeners of the pod will remember uh, we actually did an interview with yeah Notley and Kenny and mm-hmm. uh, I think it was like episode seven or something. You guys can go into our archives and, and check it out. But and she were, was great. They, yeah, they were both really good sports, and it was it was uh, pretty cool to go into the premier's office and do a little sit down interview. 
So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what listeners of the pod and readers of your blog actually say. Yeah. Um, what about the best, or not not the best, sorry, the political issue of 2018? What, in your estimation, was that, Dave? Oh, like pipelines. Yeah. Pipelines that, that, that dominated every discussion. It sucked up so much oxygen. I, I don't think there's... But no a, bitumen. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I don't think there's any dispute. It didn't suck up any bitumen. Well, the, currently exi- the current existing pipelines <laughs> did, but, uh, but, but not the... Uh, that was my vote as well. Are you seeing that? I guess we can't preview the results. But I, I, yeah, I, 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 I've, I've taken a gent, kind of a scan of the, uh, of, of the vote so far, and, and I mean, not to anybody's surprise, it'll be pipelines are, are up there. Something, uh, something related to energy. energy. Yeah, something related to the energy, energy industry or oil prices or, or pipelines. I would even venture to guess that had she imagined herself as premier, she never would have thought she'd say the words pipe. Line <laughs> yeah. as often as she had. <laughs> she she was expecting to use the word pipe in relation to cannabis legalization, probably <laughs> more than oil. But yeah. here we are. What about the biggest political play of 2018? So we talked about the biggest issue, but mm-hmm. who made the most interesting, devastating, or uplifting move politically in 2018? Ryan, let's go with you. Um, August 30th headline from the Financial Post: Rachel Notley pulls Alberta out of the federal climate plan after the pipeline decision. I think that that breaking moment where she actually explicitly said that we had trusted the feds and we had made a political calculation that carbon taxes equals pipelines. And when she realized that they didn't and she pulled out, I think that was the political play of the year. Um, I can't imagine anything that shook the ground more. Hmm. I think that the, I mean, I think the biggest political play is related to pipelines, but I think it's, uh, it's not necessarily an Alberta politician, but Justin Trudeau and the federal government purchasing the trans mountain pipeline, uh, essentially saving it on while it was on its deathbed uh, and saving any chance that that pipeline had to actually be built as Kinder Morgan was pulling out, uh, even though it's been delayed by a court order. Um, I think that move kept the pipeline issue alive in, in a way that uh, that it might actually get constructed at some point. Probably will get, now that the federal government owns it, I think it'll actually get built. Um, but had the Trudeau government not stepped in, it probably would have failed. And then we'd be talking a lot about how we wouldn't be talking about a delayed pipeline. We'd be talking about no pipelines. Great. Okay. The next question in the survey is, who was the best Alberta cabinet minister of 2018? And we're leaving best open to people's interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my choice for the best Alberta cabinet minister of 2018 is health minister Sarah Hoffman. Um, I think that Hoffman is, in, in, in when you look at the, the, the Notley cabinet, uh, not just in 2018, but over the past four years, I think she's by and far, she's the most competent, strong, one of the strongest cabinet ministers, um, particularly in the health file where, I mean, there are always issues and there are on- ongoing issues in healthcare, but we're not, unlike the previous conservative governments where we seem to lurch from crisis to crisis almost on a weekly basis, I think that she's created some a lot of stability in the healthcare system and we're not seeing the big Crisis. We're not. We're not. We're not lurking, lurking, lurching from crisis to crisis every single week. We're not trying to restructure this thing every two years. There's. There is some stability uh, in the healthcare system, and I think that has a large part to do with the competency of of Sarah Hoffman and the the grasp of the issues that she has. Great. What about you, Ryan? That was this a tough one for you because you are a partisan uh, UCP guy. I don't think so because I'm. I've also worked in politics and observed politics. Like I think I have a certain meta view of these things like where i can appreciate performance and it's hard to disagree with sarah hoffman um in addition to kind of peace in a just murderous file 
she is so on top of her files that she's also the government attack dog. Mm-hmm. So it's weird because usually the usually the health minister is just on the verge of on the ropes their whole mandate. Yeah, they're in the weeds the whole time. Yeah. They're not the ones throwing punches. And she's actually the one who's sent out regularly, like in question period and press conference and things. She's the attack dog. And I, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. Like that's her role. So she's clearly got the confidence of the leader. I think uh, Minister Hoffman is a strong candidate for the next leader whenever that should come. And I can't imagine her losing her seat. I mean, no offense to any other candidate in Glenora, but she's going to be really tough to beat. So, yeah, Sarah Hoffman is my choice as well. Uh, I'm just going to do a shout out here because this was kind of this was cool, uplifting news. The Minister of Culture and Tourism, Ricardo Miranda, uh, who is being called the first openly gay MLA in Alberta. I don't know if that's true. Or minister. 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 Yeah. Um, uh, he proposed to his partner, Christopher Brown. Yeah, I saw it. And um, the premier is going to officiate the... Yeah, that's wonderful. Congra- Which I just thought was good. Congratulations. So if it wasn't Sarah Hoffman, it was going to be Ricardo Miranda. Just because, you know, Absolutely. congratulations to him. Um, anyway, moving on to the actual survey questions. <laughs> uh, Ryan, you just talked about, you know, Sarah Hoffman doing a good job as cabinet minister. Who do you think was doing the best job as opposition critic in tw- 2018? Again, Jason Kenney. Uh, MLA for Calgary, Lougheed. It's hard to it's hard to not vote for him. I mean, I know it's cliche to vote for the leader, but in terms of the opposition and rattling the government, living in their headspace, owning real estate in their headspace, it has to be Jason Kenney. If he wasn't there, how much of a better year would they have had? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, I mean Kenny is is their I mean he's their main face. Um, he, he's been probably the strongest opposition critic of 2018, no doubt about it. Um, and yeah, you're right. He has changed the game since he since he entered provincial politics. The the other uh, opposition critic that I'd like to give a shout out, um, because he's retiring this year, and I think that that uh, that for that reason, I think that he he, he should be a contender to the list is is uh, is David Swan, uh, Liberal MLA, the the last remaining Liberal MLA uh, in the Alberta legislatures is uh, not running for re-election. He's been the um, MLA for Calgary Mountain View, as we mentioned earlier in the pod since uh 2004 um i think that he is a principled principled mla he's consistent in his positions um and i think that uh, that he deserves a lot of credit for that i mean I, I go back to um over the past well the past 10 years he's been advocating he's been a constant advocate for on farm safety issues and even when the ndp were getting getting absolutely slaughtered in public opinion on the bill six issue he was out there standing saying actually this is the kind of stuff i've been advocating for <laughs> yeah. for the past <laughs> for the past 15 years he was t- but he was totally consistent about it he's and not cut out for politics no and no i mean that in a nice yeah. way yeah like yeah he's you can tell he's a man of principle and of yeah. substance and he's not meant for the cut and thrust mm-hmm. of i mean no. he was their leader and how did they do last election? Like it wasn't really fair to him. He no, he they won one. He was he, he was reelected, and yeah. he was the only Amelia that was reelected. It's too bad that politics really doesn't have a, a place sometimes for people like Doctor Swan. Yeah, but it just really doesn't. So I, I appreciate the sentiment of what you're saying, Dave, and we give him our best regard. And I don't know. I think he's still. I don't think he's retiring, but I'm not sure what he said his plans are. Like, does he still practice? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, he's retiring in terms of from politics, in terms mm-hmm. of not running for re-election as an M- as an MLA. But I'm not sure what uh, I'm not sure what he has uh, has coming up. But I'm sure we'll uh, yeah. we'll look into it and and, uh, and wish him best in whatever he does next. Okay. So then the second last question in the survey is: Who is the up and coming MLA to watch in 2019? These last two questions are sort of forward looking questions. Ryan, who do you have your eye on for 2019? So because we had to choose current MLAs. 
who aren't, I interpreted this question as not, not candidates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the up and coming MLA that I've been watching is Devin Drieschen. Um, he's young, he's smart. He's in a very safe riding. He'll be there as long as he wants. He potentially, or I guess the way to think of it with Devin's career is anything's possible. Um, you've seen other people in similar places kind of blow themselves up mm-hmm. and Devin so far has been pretty solid. He's got a long timeline ahead of him and I wish him well. Right on. And Dave up and coming MLA in 2019, that sort of got your attention maybe a little bit this year, but the, who you think is going to make waves next year? Well, I think, I mean, to, I guess two, I mean, in terms of up, up, up and coming MLA, uh, if you're looking at, uh, potential change of government in 2019, uh, the MLA who I'd be watching uh, in terms of where he positions himself in the UCP cabinet potentially or, or something else is Nathan Cooper, um, who's been a strong opposition critic. Um, as a progressive person, I think he's he's one of the more tolerable UCP MLAs. Um, he's actually pretty sen- seems to be a pretty sensible guy. Uh, in terms of some of the positions he's taken, I thought I thought he did really well in terms of of the debate around the recent municipal finance reforms. Yeah, um, and so, he came from municipal politics. Yeah, absolutely. I think he was a was a councillor in Carstairs. Car- yeah, uh, not old. The not old. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I, I'll be interested to see where he ends up because I think he, he has a, a pretty good political career ahead of himself. He was a solid leader, interim leader too. Yeah. I mean, well, that's right. He was the interim leader of the UCP as awesome. well because yeah. he did well in our savior last year. And you know, on day one of his leadership, he was faced with a pretty big crisis. There were some old comments, and he, I was really proud of the response. Um, he just said, you know, that's not who we are now, and let's move forward. And I think he's earned the begrudging respect of people across the aisle too. I think he's got a very bright future. Mm-hmm. The other one that I was going to say actually was David Shepard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was the and he was our the the choice in this category last year. And I think that uh, I think David Shepard's in a pretty safe seat, Edmonton City Center. Well, it's interesting because it wasn't NDP until now, but no. I think I would agree with you that he's yeah. probably going to hold it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was a strong liberal seat for for many for decades before and before he's, that. He's kind of like everyone's favorite non minister who should be a minister. Yeah, like yeah. It's still, he's also everywhere. Oh yeah, like I see him everywhere. Yeah. But you live event. and work in center, though, right? Sure, but like even just like on, on social media at any NDP event or yeah. community event, he and just great. seems to be there. I, it's really kind of surprising she didn't give me him a ca- she didn't give him a cabinet role, mm. but it's too late now. You can only have so many cabinet ministers from Edmonton. I guess so. All <laughs> right, our our last question then, and this so we were talking about current MLAs. Who is the new candidate to watch in 2019? We'll start with you, Dave. Uh, I'm going to go with my choice was uh, Janice Irwin, who is the NDP candidate in Edmonton Highlands Norwood, which also happens to be my riding. Uh, and I will, uh, I, I'll, I, yeah, I voted for her in this uh, Best of Alberta Politics 2018 survey, and uh, and she can definitely count on my vote in the 2019 election. I think she is an up-and-coming candidate to watch. We had Janice on the pod a little while ago That's along right. with uh, Erica Baroudis. And uh, Natasha Souls, am I saying that right? Okay, uh, from the Alberta Party. So you can go back into the archive and uh, get a little taste of the kind of person that Dave is talking about. But Ryan, the last question for you: Who's the new candidate to watch in 2019 elections? It's always hard <laughs> to choose your favorite because I'm friends with many of our candidates, and I hate to choose one, but. The one that I think, by every objective standard, I'm the most excited about is Lori Moseson. So she's elected in Emerson McClung. She's an immigration lawyer. She's a wonderful person. She's dynamite. Her resume, I mean, she's a judge, an immigration judge, so her resume is solid. She is going to be 
I have no say in cabinet and I'm not saying that we'll form the next cabinet, but she has to be at the top of everybody's cabinet list. And yeah. so Lori, keep your eye on Lori Moses and she's, she's dynamite. Cool. Great. Well, you, you still have a chance to vote. Yep. Uh, yep. Vote until, often, vote early. No, sorry. Vote early. <laughs> not often. <laughs> yeah. You, you can submit your, submit your choices uh, until uh, December 12th. And then on December 13th, as, as I said before, we'll the top three, choices in each uh each category will go to a vote and, and we w- you said you'll release them on the 20th but we'll talk about them on the pod in the new year absolutely and that's it for this episode thanks so much for tuning in huge thanks to the alberta podcast network powered by atb for supporting the show also you may notice we haven't done the mailbag in a while we've been saving up your questions for a special christmas episode we'll be releasing on Christmas Eve. So watch for those. Send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at at Dayberta or on the Dayberta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at Dayberta.ca. Thanks again to our producer, Adam Rosenhart, and thank you for tuning in. 